Radio Outcast is an outlandish, gunslinging podcast for mature audiences. Content warning. This episode contains depictions of emotional abuse, implied homophobia, and violence, which may be upsetting for some listeners. We encourage our listeners to prioritize their safety before venturing ahead. Thank you. You know, I didn't send Helix back to 1887, just like... (laughs) randomly. It's all part of the design. (laughs) Because, okay, that music thing with the funnel, the phone, um, the grammar phone, that thing, that was trademarked in 1887. It's like a huge timestamp in our relationship, right? Because recorded music is our thing. So, yeah, humans can thank us for that. (laughs) Gods. Helix was obsessed with those things. Phonographs, records. She got so wrapped up in our new creation that she started spending more and more time on Earth, totally neglecting her duties at home. But I tried. Oh, I I put this uh, gorgeous gramophone from gramophone. I put one of those things in the meeting hall of the heavens. I, I mean, it was it was amazing. It was like gold and like didn't have to be wound up. It would never rust. It, I mean, it was like a pretty great gift, if I'm being honest. But <sighs> when I showed it to her. Helix just said, it's not the same. (laughs) Salt Lake City was supposed to give Helix and Charles a chance to bond because, you know, Charles also abandoned his home. But as usual, Helix left all the work to other people and went off to do her own thing, which... This time was to go see some tacky little show. (laughs) Well, she wanted a show, and a show she's about to get. And, Charles, I hope you rolled an extra cigar. You're gonna need it. Barefoot? That's a choice endearment. Not long ago it seemed you'd be her executioner. Now it seems I've the honor of your enmity. Ah, poor Jesse. I shouldn't have pressed further. The young man cannot help but be utterly himself. An honest man, a straight shooter, as he likely self-describes in his nocturnal writings. But... I could hardly forget his earlier bludgeoning of doubt. Better to solve things then 
than to let sleeping weeds wake. That was different. That was by temperament. This is trust. Oh, you don't trust me, dear Rogers. How sad. What shall I do? You didn't answer my question earlier about the name Osgood. I didn't. Curious. I seem to remember a perfectly answerable answer. That woman. The war she was talking about, she said a war. And your imagination brings it all back to yourself, I presume? I do. That's how I've got this far. Ah, yes. The narratives we create for ourselves. Do go on about your travels. Or or shall I read it in print? In that machine there, you found it. On a bench. (laughs) A bench. So, it all came forth. Perhaps I would have begun these pressing questions a bit earlier, but Jesse had his distractions. It mattered not. I reached beneath my dust coat and took out the revolver. You wish to trust me, Rogers? Then take this. Make use of it. A gun? Don't need it. (laughs) Got my own. You catch me in a lie, Jesse Rogers, and I urge you, shoot me. Shoot you? Hold on. Catch you? So you being plain about it. Plain as Kansas. Your little code, surely it can arrange this. You consider me such a crook. Very well, I confess to crookedness. It's not as though I could prove otherwise to you, you and your precious narratives. Yes, I'm being plain as Kansas. Now, what was I supposed to think? This was some friendship test. I had nothing but a sick suspicion. I sure took that fucking gun, though. I ain't never seen him shoot. But you could tell a man's experience by the way he chases gunfire. Back in Lone Flats in Arizona, Osgood kept looking for the bullet holes rather than the gunner himself. First sign of an amateur. Chasing the bullet before the barrel. Only one bullet. Yes, well, the board is charitable in the performative sense. Seemed to me the whole town was performing, filling up a role. Board of Trade, Purple Coats, Talking Codes, splitting my mind. As me and Osgood walked around town with that talking machine, things started twisting my gut. Us in those damn fake uniforms... Who else was wearing a costume? I saw railroad workers marching around the sidewalks, but were they really working for someone else? Watching us? Charles? Rogers? With the new game Charles was playing, the whole shoot me line, figured it was the right time to ask. Put the pressure on him. Got a question for you. When the Vogels got you, brought you down to their encampment, did you hear anything? About anything? 
Don't think I didn't notice his eye twitch. Flash of a second. I heard a few things. As you know, bandits love to speak loudly where everyone can eavesdrop. Seems an occupational flaw. But one of them told a body little joke. Would you like to hear it? No, Osgood, I don't. What hangs from a gentleman's waist and wishes to poke the hole it's so regularly poked over and over and over again? Oh. A key! <laughs> right then... A hand gripped me from behind, squeezed my shoulder. Last time someone came at me by surprise, had him down on the ground before he could speak. It was just an old alfalfa desperado looking for some change, but can't be too careful. This time was no different. Took half a second for both my guns to come out, turn around, aim both barrels toward the forehead. Oh, shit. Jesse, by the gods, put those things down. Strange city, strange folks. Had my reflexes on edge. Once my heart settled, I tucked both guns back into my railroad pants. See, Rogers? I knew you'd find use for that little revolver. I spent half an hour looking for Jesse and Charles in the city before finding them dressed up in one of those local railroad uniforms. <laughs> Honestly, it was kind of hilarious seeing them dressed the same. Jesse and Charles, looking like they just rolled around in an oil spill. Okay. Well, um, I do have to ask why you're both dressed like that, but first, um, Charles, do you happen to know anything about underground Salt Lake City? Or something about the underground? I watched the blood drain from his face. He instantly went pale. Well, paler than Charles normally is. Look, I think the third tower is somewhere beneath the city. I, I just accidentally walked in into a... Well, not accidentally, but I ended up in some Mormon theater thing. Uh, there was a singing robot, and people were taking notes, and uh, Deseret is still a thing. Anyways, they said something about a monolith. Underground? Charles stared forward into nothing, just totally blank-faced. Me and Jesse stood there, waiting. What the hell was happening? Eventually, Charles lifted his hands up and pulled the railroad hat off his head, dropping it onto the sidewalk. <clears throat> the uniforms will be useless now. 
please follow me. It's like Charles turned into some sort of automaton himself, turning around, walking in the opposite direction. And me and Jesse looked at each other like, did this dude finally snap? Charles led us down Salt Lake's main street, through the flocks of city-goers, around corners, past the theater with the protesters still marching around in circles. As we got farther away from Main Street, more of the conservative-dressed people began to stare at us. Some of them scowled at Charles. We going to that cathedral? Humans build all sorts of pretty tall things in service to God, or the gods. Sometimes they build pyres, and sometimes temples. This cathedral looked nearly finished. It's like the white spires of this building were being built into the clouds. Groups of men hauled stone from the road on wagons. But as we got closer to the temple doors, the men stopped and they stared. What is this? I I mean, I know it's a big-ass church, but... No, you're right. It's more than just a temple. It's a headquarters. Why should you care about what's whispered here? Come, follow me and let these people talk. (laughs) The temple workers reminded me. Under their breaths they whispered, Apostate, as we crossed the courtyard. (laughs) Stand like a sturdy tower that does not shake. Don't think we welcome here. Folks looking at us like we shot the dog. We are certainly not welcomed, but this is where we will go for our next tower. Ironic. They build these things to welcome the gods, and yet here I am, totally not welcomed. At the temple's entrance, we were greeted by a young girl wearing a white bow. She gave curtsy. I gave bow. Perhaps she was too young to know me, my face, my name. If she did, perhaps she would have run for the hills. But she knew precisely where to guide me, and in that, the young girl knew plenty. Whoa, this place is massive. They began construction when I was a boy, many, many years ago, back when I played the role of temple guide. 
as we followed the girl through the cathedral's belly down innumerable stone corridors into even darker and smaller corridors, I recalled my own childhood, guiding men and women across the temple's lot. I know this place intimately. I have walked it hundreds of times. Hope their God likes to walk. Yes, I knew that place well. And then, suddenly I did not. The young girl guided us down stone steps, grabbing an oil lamp from the wall. We had suddenly become medieval, plunged into a cold dark. And while I knew the destination, this route perplexed me. At the end, of a long corridor, a strange dinging sound. Two metallic doors pulled apart and revealed a small, brightly lit room, no larger than a broom closet. Our young guide continued forth and we followed into the contraption, stood shoulder to shoulder. The doors slid shut and the machine began to descend. doors opened up and put us at the mouth of some mine shaft. Could only see a few yards ahead. A cavity of stone braced up with wood. <coughs> uh, thank you for your guidance. I will take us from here. Little girl waved. Stepped behind those doors and disappeared. I... I want to act surprised by the elevator. I really do. Charles went on. We followed him through the slippery cave, steadying ourselves on the walls. Folks with pickaxes twisted their heads, pointed their lanterns at us. When they recognized old coffin men, they started up again, calling him apostate. Y'all keep running your mouths, gonna catch a black lung. Leave them be. Suppose it wasn't my cross. So, I kept my mouth shut, eyes wide open. After walking for a while, we approached a huge wooden door at the end of the mine shaft. Two guards, both had pistols on their hips, said we couldn't bring weapons inside to meet some man named Mr. Cannon. Ah, of course. We've only the one single gun, isn't that right, Jesse? Wasn't sure if Charles forgot about the extra revolver. Was strapped to my right thigh beneath the uniform. Yeah, I'd been in enough quick situations. 
So, as I went to hand the guards my primary gun, was able to shimmy that extra revolver down through my pant leg and slipped it right into my boot. Just in case. Through the door, a small room with a desk. And a man sat there. Bright white beard. Big nose. Looked a little familiar. He finished up writing a letter. Then leaned back. He was expecting us. Took off his spectacles and sat them down on the table. I will speak to the woman. And she will speak on behalf of him. I expect respectable behavior and nothing less. Now, proceed. Bearded men pointed at Helix. Didn't look at Charles, but I did. Looked back and forth between Charles and that cannon man. Hmm. Ain't no doubt. Same bright white hair. Same nose. Hmm. Ain't no doubt. Um, uh, I'm not a secretary. Uh, I don't speak on anyone's behalf. Thanks. On his desk, a golden nameplate that said George Q. Cannon. He stood up and strain his coat. Still wouldn't look at Charles. Just turns to face the wall and talks towards it. You come here, to this city. Do you know what has transpired? Why I hide here in the underground? Do you know where the war stands? Of course you do not. You played double agent. Fickle boy. Bringing further ruin to this city. Did you not think I would know? We've seen you entering the den of trade. We've seen you with your puerile disguises and your friend here. Inviting herself wherever she wishes. Yeah, of course. I I guess I should have known the magic show was going to be a secret gathering for a literal underground resistance. My bad. Mm, Cannon seemed like he didn't get argued with much. Turned red as a tomato. Look, we're just here for the monolith. A big black tower. Seen anything like that? Yes, no doubt. We cannot be graced with such a blessing without receiving some reminder of man's arrogance. You, whatever name you chose for today, I permit you this lone visit, because the divine monolith is not ours to possess. We cannot ordain the earth upon ourselves, but I will repeat my original request from years ago. Do you remember it, boy? 
I'm not one to forget. Ah, just hearing your voice again. It repels me. That's enough. Is it? Eh, so be it then. The door behind me leads through a final passage. You will come upon the monolith. Do not disturb the worshippers visiting this site. This is a holy place. Remember, you will remain unwelcome in this city until you prove yourself welcome in. One day, you must pick a side, my son. And then, you must cleanse yourself of your... Inclinations. Charles nodded. The man sat back down and continued writing another letter. Thing is, Charles didn't seem phased at all. Like he'd been through this before. Or maybe he just didn't care. We followed Charles around the desk and through the door. Outside that piece of shit's office, I could already feel the tower's energy. My blood started buzzing. Charles, we'll get out of here as soon as possible, okay? That, that, that was... Please, I need no consolation. That man moved me, not at all. <laughs> of course, he was lying. I knew it. And, by the way, Jesse looked over at me. He knew it, too. Hmm. Think we're here. Holy shit. Indeed. This is new. For even me. We stepped into a massive cavern. The ceiling disappeared into the darkness high above, but a hole in the earth shed a column of light down on the third tower. It glistened in the sunlight. Got some folks praying. Might want to keep it down. We tiptoed carefully around worshippers on the ground. They prayed on their knees or curled themselves up into human balls. They seemed to completely ignore us as we approached the tower. I do hope it's a worthwhile reward. I gave Charles a smile. Not that long ago, I was shunned by everyone I knew. In that courtroom of the heavens. I remember what it felt like to have absolutely no one at your side. Whatever Charles did, surely he didn't deserve that treatment. He gave a smile back. Charles, can I, um, can I borrow the pin on your jacket real quick? 
fashion emergency in a cavern. <laughs> I I do understand. Uh. It's been a little over a month now as a mortal, and <laughs> I'll tell you, Mom, the little pains are the ones that suck the most. Like, the literal pains. I knew I had to get blood on my hands for the tower, so I poked my palm with the tip of Charles's pin. Fuck. It's fine. I'm fine. Yes, well, last time, I believe you pinched a two-inch gun wound for the blood. I put my hand against the tower surface. My fingers started to tickle, like putting your hand against a staticky TV screen. Well, what do we got? I started to hear them. At first, they were quiet, like rain far off in the distance. So I focused on them. Confessions. I heard dozens of confessions from the worshippers surrounding us. A woman confessing to a dire illness. A boy confessing to stealing money from his grandfather. And then a man confessing to some crime. It's one of the gods' more nuanced powers. Detecting truths isn't the same as reading thoughts. They each require their own unique fields of focus. I I remember asking you, Mom, why I even needed this. If humans wanted me to know something, then they'd tell me, right? But you said confession is a sacred thing for people. And so is secrecy. You told me to use it sparingly, and I I will. I, I promise. Just let me get my bearings. The sick woman. She confessed. I am afraid. I am sick and dying. But I fear telling my husband. I'm supposed to care for him, but soon I won't be able to. Will he leave me? And and the young boy, he confessed, I stole from my grandfather. I stole money from his drawers. My grandfather's store is already running out of money, but I stole anyway. And then, the man. He kneeled at the tower, sliding his hands up the surface. He confessed to a crime. What would have happened if I hadn't been listening? The man confessed, he is a traitor. He betrayed the board. He must be removed. What did he mean? Who must be removed? I listened closer for his confession, but I didn't need to. The man lifted his head from prayer and turned directly to Charles. The skylight from above shone down on the man. His eyes were vacant, cold. I've seen these sort of eyes before. The way a human loses himself, his spirit, moments before a kill. How the mayor in Lone Flats shot at Jesse, and how Jesse shot at one of the men who killed his father. Jesse, over there! Charles, get down! The man launched from the ground with a knife in his hand. He rushed toward Charles, one hand reaching for Charles's throat, the other pointing the knife. Jesse slammed his foot against the ground. His gun flung out from the boot, soaring through the air. He caught it. Jesse aimed it at the man's heart. The knife fell to the ground. 
a black bullet marking in the middle of the blade. The man clutched his wrist in pain, totally confused, but mostly scared shitless. He looked at Jesse, looked at the bent knife across the cabin floor, and then I heard the man's next confession. Shit on this, this is not worth the pay. Yeah, keep on running, jackass! Helix, how... how did you know? Uh, good timing? Uh, maybe the word is providence. I got my power of judgment back. It helps me read the truth of things. Better use that thing on old Charles here. Moments from my near death and you're... Never mind. Helix, the man... What was his so-called truth? Uh, he said he was getting revenge for the board. That you failed them. The board? Uh, are, are you sure it was... Perhaps you misheard? What? No, I, I don't do that. I see. But are you positive? Just be grateful. All is good. Charles just stood there, staring at the ground. What I want is to use the power of judgment to peek into his brain. Figure out what's really going on in there. Like, who is that cannon man to Charles? Like, like actually, the guy said my son, but I don't know, religious humans use that stuff all the time, right? So many questions. What did Charles do in Salt Lake City long, long ago? What does he have to do to be welcomed back again? All the questions. And now, I had the power for it. Come on. I'm sick of this town. Indeed. But I didn't use the power. Not yet. I need to trust these guys, and until they give me a clear reason to doubt them, I'll hold back on the power of judgment. For now. We walked down the long stone corridors. Jesse got his gun back, and after we emerged from the giant temple, Charles flicked on the Walkman for our next destination. Stand by. Stand by. Hey folks, before we get into the credits, you should know that this episode marks the mid-season finale of Radio Outcast Season 1. The last half of this season will return on the first Wednesday of January 2022. Radio Outcast was created by Maria Fernanda Vidarozaga and J.T. Lachese, and produced by Anne Hughes. Starring Anne Hughes as the voice of the Sunny Machine, Ivory Amor de Francisca as Jesse Rogers, Daniel A. Stevens as Charles Osgood and George Q. Cannon, Jay Duong as Helix, and Daniel Sotelo as Coda. This episode was written by JT, directed by Fernanda, with dialogue editing by Anne, sound design by JT, 
and music by Samuel Kinsella. As always, you can find us online at radiooutcast.com or follow us on Instagram at radiooutcastpod and Twitter at radio underscore outcast. If you like what you hear, let us know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. This helps us reach more listeners and gives us a chance to see what y'all think of the show. If you'd like to help us grow, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash radio underscore outcast. Our patrons get access to behind-the-scenes material, original scripts, uh, bonus content, including a letter from Miss Marigold to her sister detailing the fate of one young girl and text messages between the gods. If you become a patron at the Coda tier, for as little as $1 a month, you too could get a special shout-out at the end of our episodes, like... Kyrie O. Stephanie C. Gnome H. Patrick C. Alan L. Dan W. Melissa L. Sarah F. Rax W. Marcos L. Patricia D. VCA Staging. Lisbeth S. Val V. Juan P. Andy S. Aaron B. Physics. Susan D. Fearless Lila Rose 300. Chelsea S. And Sebastian. To all of our patrons, thanks again. We appreciate you. To everyone listening, safe travels. Mm-hmm.